Church, I think we can all agree that this world desperately needs and longs for the protection, safety, and freedom found within God's law. His commandments lay out a perfect plan for our lives and how we relate to God as well as each other. No one can keep the law perfectly save Jesus Christ. And he, for his glory, was born and has borne the penalty for our failure. That we might one day stand before the Father righteous. In Exodus 20, the word of God reads... And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days You shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughters, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Today's passage, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So when I was in grade school, I went to... um, you know, my Sunday school class every week and vacation Bible school every summer, just like you did if you grew up in the South, right? And we were, I remember learning about the Ten Commandments. And you probably have a recollection of that. You learned songs and rhymes to help you remember the various commandments and what they meant, what they said. And I recall one of my teachers, and I'm going to talk about her for a second, but I cleared this story with her, so it's okay. But I recall one of my teachers in explaining the implications of each commandment. She went and read the Eighth Commandment, paused and said something along this, these lines. As for me, I don't have to worry about this one. I don't steal. But some do. There are thieves out there that want to take what is not theirs. Don't be like them. You be good and don't take what is yours. And while I am certainly grateful for every believer that invested time in my biblical foundation, I do feel she perhaps did not encourage us to look for ways that we all, as sinful creatures, break this commandment. And we don't like to feel like we are thieves. 
and that we are dishonest in our dealings. So hopefully throughout this multi-week study of the Ten Commandments, we will see that there is no command of God in which we do not at some point fall short. So the first four commandments, or the first table of the law, describe how we are to live in relation to God. With the remaining commandments, or the second table, describing how we are to live in relation to one another. Jesus himself, in Matthew 22, encapsulates this. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, so here Jesus summarizes the two tables of the Ten Commandments. And as you know in the reading of Scripture and the study of Scripture, one thing that especially Pastor John and our other pastors are so good at illustrating is that when we study Scripture, we see that the Word of God is not merely a series of morality lessons but rather the telling of one great story, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a microcosm of this, we learn that the Ten Commandments are not merely ten unrelated directives, but they are the implications of one great command, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. And as a corollary, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. But... We do not like to think that we steal. A survey done several years ago of professing evangelicals proclaimed that 90% of evangelical Christians claim they never violate the Eighth Commandment. And that is a troubling statistic as it shines light on the fact that many professing Christians do not understand what it means to steal. If so, we would all realize our own weakness and our own defiance of the Eighth Commandment. Martin Luther once said, If we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. But as many of us are still thinking, I just don't want to believe that. Stealing is something that others may do to me, but not something I would do to someone else. And furthermore... This message on the Eighth Commandment is unfortunately often taught from a perspective of personal property rights rather than personal introspection. In today's political climate, we have become obsessed with our own rights while shunning personal responsibility. And the reasoning is quite simple, and it's clearly observable on today's social political stage. We want others to right their wrongs toward us. And we, as sinners, recoil at the idea that we should be focused primarily upon the sin in our own lives. Author Michael Horton writes, The Ten Commandments stress what each one of us owes his or her neighbor, not what each of us has the right to expect from them. The the command to not commit murder protects the sanctity of human life. Rather than focus on my right to choose, we are instead commanded to focus inward, to not commit murder. As John Kirkpatrick rightly handled the word of God last week, the command to not commit adultery focuses not upon our right to love who we choose, but our responsibility to protect marriage and the family. 
which through God's design served to form much of the foundation for human society. So today, we look at the commandment, you shall not steal. A commandment that implores us to respect an owner's right to ownership. 17th century Puritan and nonconformist Thomas Watson wrote a seminal work on the subject of the Ten Commandments. Following the Reformation in England, the Puritans were the group that were dissatisfied with the limited separation of the Church of England from the Roman Catholic Church, its extra-biblical teachings and practices. So, as the Church of England began to pass its various acts of uniformity, those who stood in opposition were often referred to as nonconformists. And it's within this setting that Thomas Watson wrote his commentary on the Ten Commandments. Watson analyzes the ways in which people steal. He essentially breaks them down into three categories. These three ways in which we steal, according to Thomas Watson, will kind of serve as our three points of conversation this morning. Watson says we steal from each other, we steal from ourselves, and we steal from God. All three reflect a failure of humanity to find contentment within God's providence. Theft shows lack of faith in God's provision. The desire to steal is rooted in our doubt of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to provide for his people. Thus, we can then conclude that in trusting God, in being content, we exercise our faith. Which brings us to our first, our first point of the day. Theft is the act of taking from someone what God has provided. Stealing is an attempt to deny what God has portioned to another. Now, we can, we can sit on our perch from on high and we can talk about crime statistics and we can point our fingers at looters and rioters in the street, and we can turn our nose up at the Bernie Madoffs of the world. We can sound indignant and judgmental. But instead, I would like us to focus on how we as believers break this commandment and how we break it with regularity. Allow me, if you would, to direct your attention to this Norman Rockwell painting. There it is. This ran on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post in 1936. It shows a butcher and a woman. Take a moment to kind of take it in. There are several things going on there. And an interpretation of an artistic expression changes within the culture or the age in which it's viewed. So I'm going to tell you what I see here. And you may disagree with me, but you would be wrong. Here, here the woman is pushing up on the scale whilst the butcher is pressing down. Both are attempting to dishonestly affect the outcome for their own benefit. Both appear pleased and possibly entitled. There's nothing within this work that conveys even the slightest inkling that either party feels as though they are doing something wrong. They certainly are not breaking any commandment. I would hypothesize that this lady would like like my Sunday school teacher years ago, boldly proclaimed that she never steals. And I would think that this butcher has somehow rationalized within his mind that he is somehow justified in his actions. Both feel somehow entitled to what is not theirs. Both are stealing. 
But the social political theme of our present age tells us that these two are simply trying to right the wrong of the other. You're going to do this to me, so I, in an act of social justice, am going to do this to you. The popular view of the world would say that these two actions cancel each other out. No harm, no foul. Something like, uh, the butcher has for too long been stealing from us, so we are completely justified and without guilt in stealing from him. That, that Robin Hood syndrome that is so pleasing to our sinful flesh. God, however, looks at the heart of humanity, not the net sum of worldly effect, though neither is rewarded materially from this exchange due to the actions of their heart. Both are guilty of stealing. Throughout the Old Testament, stealing is seen as a sin against God as well as the community of believers. Sin penalties and various Types of restitution are laid out in great painstaking detail and must be paid for the offender to be forgiven. And I would like to direct us to an example of this. It's found in Leviticus 6. The word of God reads this way. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do. And thereby become guilty. So there's, there's a lot going on. A lot of, lot of words there. But essentially what, what I want us to see. Is that the Old Testament restitution penalty focuses are staggering. There's a staggering and costly penalty for stealing. Furthermore. The use of lethal force to protect one's own property is even authorized. In Exodus 22. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are admonished to trust in his providence and in his faithful provision. This charge to trust God continues into the New Testament, but with one addition. New Testament scripture clearly portrays a thieving spirit as being in direct contradiction to one's conversion to Christianity. The act of stealing contradicts our profession of faith. In Matthew 19, when conversing with the rich young ruler had inquired, which commandments do I need to keep to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness. In other words, Jesus summarizes the second table of the law. Paul does the same thing in Romans 13. Romans 13 
9. And even going as far as to tie love of neighbor to the command not to steal. Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so here Paul gives us a positive directive of this command, and that is to love your neighbor. Willing obedience to this command is a direct result of believers' faith. Ephesians 4.28 states, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And here Paul is speaking to new converts who were once pagan. And he's telling them not how you become a Christian, but what, what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify the Christian. Dr. Legan Duncan writes, If we really believe in God's providence, if we really believe that our neighbor is made in the image of God, if we really care about the community more than we care about ourselves, then we will never distrust God's providence so as to take from someone else something that does not belong to us. Our second point this morning. We steal from ourselves by wasting our time, talents, and resources. And this sounds weird to say, right? So how do, how do we steal from ourselves? I would offer that miserliness is a way in which we steal from ourselves. Thomas Watson writes, The miser is a thief. He steals from himself and not allowing himself what is needful. A miser is unable to celebrate God's provision. Rather, they build for themselves an idol of hoarded wealth. And churches can fall into this sin, building for themselves impressive bank accounts with no plan for mission or outreach. And doubt and lack of faith lead some to stash away resources, resources over which God has granted his congregation stewardship. But instead of trusting God and being generous with our blessings, we run the risk of retreating into miserliness. And scripture even tells us that a greedy or a stingy person does not even comprehend or perhaps experience the love of God. 1 John 3, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? God created us to be generous to others. And have you ever noticed how truly joyful a generous person is. They're great to be around. Um, love just kind of emanates from them. And on the other side, have you ever noticed with a stingy or a greedy person the frustration and the lack of fulfillment in their life? Proverbs 11 reads, 11.24, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So another way that we steal from ourselves by wasting our estate 
wasting what we've been given. Pop culture today celebrates opulence and extravagant spending on status symbols. Million-dollar cars, $20,000 shoes, watches that top a quarter of a million dollars are commonplace amongst our celebrity culture. The believer must remember that his or her estate belongs to God and is meant to glorify Him. And when we steal, our love of possession trumps our call to be generous and reveals that we seek contentment in things rather than the promises of God. Author Philip Ryken writes, What the Bible means by ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for His glory. So at the same time that we are forbidden to take things that don't belong to us, we are required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to our God. To put it simply, the Eighth Commandment isn't just about stealing. It's also about stewardship. And a steward is one that looks after someone's property or finances within the will of the property owner. So contrary Contrary to the teaching of many megachurch pastors this morning, God does not gift his people with material and financial provisions solely for their happiness and contentment. Anything that God provides to one of his children is meant for that child to glorify God. But, as Pastor Adam often says, and this is our third point this morning, Human beings are glory hogs. We steal glory from God. We always want the glory. And I got to tell you, in my sermon prep this week, this was by far the most convicting portion for me. Let's talk about ways we steal from God. This should horrify us, by the way. Um, Stealing is wrong, but we would think that stealing from God would be the last thing that we would do, and it tends to be the thing we do the most. Um, In watering down the gospel so as not to offend, the false teacher steals from God. Feel-good, self-help, motivational messages where the primary focus is personal happiness serve not to glorify God, but man. Scripture speaks quite harshly of this type of thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But we want glory. Lucifer was expelled from heaven. Why? Because he wanted glory. Original sin itself sprang from humanity's desire to elevate themselves rather than God. Another way we steal glory from God, Christian virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is essentially a a modern woke brand of legalism. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of two men praying at the temple. He speaks on this very thing. Let's look at Luke 18 together. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast, he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We have so much trouble humbling ourselves. I can think of moments in my life where I was humbled. It was rarely by me. It was by a bad decision I made, right, or something stupid that I did. But I was, I've, I've never, or not as much as I should, have humbled myself. Do you ever, do you ever wonder... Here we go. Do you ever wonder what an unbeliever, a lost person might think if they searched our social media in an effort to learn what it means to be a Christian or to live the Christian life? My guess is they would be really, really confused. We as sinful creatures in an effort to glorify ourselves add our own traits and our own preferences to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We attempt to hijack glory that is his. And listen, like I said earlier, I am preaching to myself right here. So try not to get your feathers ruffled. I'm just going to tell you the types of things that we say right now in the online sphere. You can't vote for Donald Trump and be a Christian. You can't not vote for Donald Trump and be a Christian. By the way, I'm not making any, any of these up. All I did was write them down this week. If you're a Christian and you wear a mask, if you're a Christian, you must wear a mask. You can't say you're a Christian that trusts in God's protection if you're one of these people that says you must wear a mask. If you're a Christian, you must support Black Lives Matter. If you're a Christian, you must insist that all lives matter. A Christian has no business kneeling for the national anthem. A true Christian must be burdened to the point where he or she kneels when they hear the national anthem. And listen, I'm not saying any of these actions are wrong. Trump or never Trump, mask or no mask, BLM or ALM, stand or kneel, those are personal preferences and I'm sure they are based on personal convictions. But brothers and sisters who I love dearly, please listen to what we are saying when we say these types of things. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to agree with my politics. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to agree with my position on public health. To be a Christian, you must be more like me. How often do we spout an opinion on social media and then say, it's a gospel issue and it's really just something that is our opinion? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Unmerited grace and indescribable love, those are gospel issues. 
The gospel is not a list of contemporary moral boxes one must check in order to be on God's good side. Such an approach is known as legalism. And legalism glorifies the doer and his or her abilities, efforts, and causes. Church, we stand in a season of global pandemic and racial injustice and Rather than run to the word of God, we sometimes run to our political and sociological soapboxes where we water down the gospel with our own perspectives and prejudices. Crises of this magnitude should serve to unite Christians. And rest assured, if we were in the word of God and on our knees in prayer, we would be united and God would be glorified. We wouldn't be obsessed with winning an argument or a debate. When God is being glorified, we do not care if we win. We just want God to receive the glory for the victory. But unfortunately, we often desire our own glory. And that is glory that we steal from God. We run to our social media or whatever platforms we use to proclaim through our actions, the word of God says for you to be like me. And I personally shudder at how many times my heart and my actions have said this very thing. Thank God we do not have to be worthy of salvation. Because if so, we would all perish. God's grace is freeing and without condition. The beautiful psalm that we read during music worship today spoke of delight in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is the path to freedom. It is man's perversion of God's law that leads to the path of legalism and its suffocating, restricting, and unobtainable standards. You could conclude that if delighting in the law is the path to freedom, then rejecting the law of God is the path to bondage. When we reject or pervert the word of God, we head straight to this legalism that we fear. We see clearly that on today's political stage, when we deal with, we hear, we see things like political correctness and the cancel culture. The word of God is blindly rejected within the shrill rhetoric of rebellion and in an effort to free humanity from any sort of moral absolute. Humanity has instead built for itself a tiny cage in which only select thinking is permissible. Differing opinions are squashed as hate hate speech and only the narrowest of worldviews is allowed. And mistakes from one's past can forever label one an outcast unworthy of love and respect. But the one and only gospel brings true freedom. I'm going to ask our musicians to head to this stage. Jesus Christ did not come to enslave us, but to liberate us. There is no sin, no mistake, no transgression beyond the scope of his forgiveness. That though we were all once held captive by sin, Christ walked this earth sinlessly. He would be rejected and executed And though he was sinless, the Father saw fit to place the sin of humanity, past, present, and future upon his shoulders. The sins of thieves, adulterers, murderers, idolaters, 
blasphemers, racists, and bigots. Christ bore God's wrath to its completion for all that would believe. Today, those that belong to Jesus are free and God's law provides for the saved a safe sanctuary in which we celebrate the freedom of the gospel. God does not command us to adopt a particular stance on politics, COVID-19 prevention, or race relations, just that we believe the gospel. God's grace is unearned and undeserved. And in grasping the depths of our sin and the limitless forgiveness of God, we cannot help but be moved to live graciously with our Christian brothers and sisters. The law of God, that is, how we live in relation to God and how we live in relation to each other, is firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we're going to close in prayer. Brett's going to lead us.